I invite you to remain standing as we hear God's holy word uh, from the book of 1 Samuel. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and she could not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, said to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Do I mean more to you than 10 sons? Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. She made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son. I will give him back to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying with her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring my soul out to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may God of Israel grant you what you have asked him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord and went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of, of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, because, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Again, we want to extend a special word of welcome. Please be seated. We want to extend a special word of welcome to you joining us this morning and those joining on television and by streaming. And as I look over this scripture again, I wonder why Cindy didn't do the children's message on this scripture. <laughs> Karen and I were married in June of 1999. We waited several years to try to have a child. We moved, from Nashville, or we moved to Nashville from New York City in the fall of 2005, and Quinn was born in 2006, in June. And honestly, we didn't think very much about it. Quinn was the 16th grandchild on Karen's side of the family, and my younger sister had three very healthy children. When we moved to Little Rock in the fall of 2007, we talked more about when we wanted to have another child. But we didn't know that there was other science at play and we were not able to have any more children. I tell you this because I want to acknowledge from the very beginning that I know this is a tough 
scripture for some people. Some may be very unaware of Hannah's story before hearing it today. And I know that so many people have their own stories. As you know, the lectionary cycles through and my prayer is always that God speaks to someone either because of what we say from this pulpit or in spite of what we say from this pulpit. So let's look at a little background of this book of Samuel first. It's separated in most Bibles. First and second Samuel are really one book. The first Greek translation separated it and divided it into two. So it was kind of one of the first sequels, if you will. But according to Jewish tradition, the book is written by Samuel himself with additions by the prophets Gad and Nathan, who were the three prophets that are also mentioned in First Chronicles under David's reign. In Samuel, we're in a huge transition for Israel. With the story of Hannah this week, we move from the time of the judges to a time of a monarchy in Israel. The story of Hannah seems very familiar to people hearing Bible stories all their lives. A barren woman longing for a child. We all know that the Bible rarely highlights a woman's story, let alone gives her a name. So immediately we know that this is not business as usual. Plus, because of the other stories that we are familiar with throughout the, the scripture, Hannah's barrenness lets us know automatically that her child will be a special blessing from God. And that will impact the story of Israel for generations to come. But we have to get to that point first. Of course, anyone who has ever had to deal with the pain of infertility knows that all words are insufficient. Some women have experienced the miracle that Hannah and Sarah and Elizabeth have all experienced. Children after long barrenness, but not, not all women. And there's a place in this story for the lament of that. Unlike hurts that are at least manageable, this type of hurt affects one's entire life, leaving a heart wounded and sometimes a spirit broken. As if barrenness were not enough, Hannah withstood the affliction of being misunderstood. Hannah's husband just didn't get it. Speaking as a husband, that can be a common theme throughout marriage. And while Akana may have been a nice guy who truly loved his wife, or in this case his wives, he simply wasn't paying enough attention to the reality of Hannah's life. His love couldn't remove either her shame of not being able to have children or her vulnerability. His obliviousness is clear when he asks, and am I not more to you than 10 sons? This statement says so much more about him than it does about Hannah. I, I think that she would have been more assured if he had said, Hannah, you are worth more than 10 sons to me. And the other wife, Panina, thinking herself better than Hannah, 
Her attitude and repeated boasts about her fertility left Hannah shattered beyond words. And adding insult to injury in this story, you have Eli, the priest, accusing her of being drunk when she's really pouring out her heart to God. Despite her pain, Hannah would not like to be like the barren women before her. She would not be like Sarah who in insisted that Abraham uh, evict Hagar so Ishmael would have no part of Isaac's inheritance. She would not be like Rachel whose competition with her sister Leah to, to bear children for Jacob did not end until Rachel's self-fulfilling prophecy came true and she died giving birth to Benjamin. Hannah chose another path. She chose to take her concerns to God in a very different way. And although Hannah did not share the details of her situation, Eli eventually understood that hers was a heartfelt cry. Assured by Eli that God heard and would answer Hannah's prayer, she went home. She went home confident that God's answer would show up. God's answer came when she gave birth to Samuel, Israel's last judge, the prophet who anointed Saul, the prophet who anointed David, Israel's first two kings. Now, I'm deeply aware that there are people who have prayed, who have spent an enormous amount of money on in vitro fertilization and other methods in an effort to have a child of their own and still not had one. I want to recognize the grief that overshadows the promise of a child from God. Again, there is room for lament in this story. And I want to honor that grief and not skip automatically to the good part of the story. We don't get to do that in real life, and we shouldn't do that in the scriptures either. In response to Hannah's prayer, Eli responds with a word of assurance. Go in peace. The God of Israel grant the petition that you have made to him. Elkanah's words are insufficient. Eli's first words are ignorant. And this blessing, though, does what earlier words could not do. It assures Hannah of God's faithfulness. And though nothing has changed about her outward circumstances, suddenly Hannah is comforted. Hannah, who could not in her sadness eat a double portion earlier that her husband gave her, now goes home and eats and drinks, sad no longer. The, the story of Hannah then brings us full circle and points us forward it points us forward to the celebration of Christ the King Sunday next weekend and to Advent that begins in two weeks when we'll hear of another young mother sing a song of Hannah. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. 
He has filled the hungry with good things. He sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Today's story follows a pattern that we might expect. Hannah goes home, conceives a child, dedicates him to the service of the Lord, and lives happily ever after. But is this woman's grief and suffering so easily resolved by having a child? Is it, is it that simple? I wonder if Hannah, if her suffering is more complicated than that, than the surface that this story suggests. She's kind of interwoven into a system that seems at every turn to be working against her, her desire for a better life, a more abundant life. Even as the author of 1st and 2nd Samuel was clearly teaching Israel about the mighty acts of God that changed the course of Israel's history, we should preach this story as part of the gospel too. Hannah is a type of Mary. She's a channel of grace to the world from whose womb would come a man who would change Israel similarly as even as Jesus changed the world. Isn't it amazing how huge biblical stories begin with some very small way? The creation of the universe, it said, begins with the simple sound of God's voice. In complete contrast to other ancient stories, that speak of combat among titanic gods. The founding of the nation of Israel begins with an infertile couple living in a foreign land. The salvation of Israel begins with the birth of a baby boy in the context of an edict to kill all babies. And that particular baby is saved from death by five women, one who is Pharaoh's daughter, and of course, most famously, the birth of Jesus occurs to an unmarried and powerless couple, unknown and unregarded through the Roman Empire. And, and so it's at the beginning of this long story of Samuel, of Saul, and David, three major figures that dominate the early history of the nation of Israel for some 100 years but I want to go back to Eli for a second. As Hannah prayed for her son, the sitting Eli was watching her, her mouth move as she prayed with passion. But due to a somewhat disconnection with reality, he quickly assumed that she must be drunk. So it makes me question, you know, what kind of worshipers was Eli dealing with at the temple of Shiloh? But Hannah immediately responds to Eli's accusations of drunkenness by saying, No, my Lord, I am a woman deeply troubled. One might have imagined that Eli would be on the lookout for troubled people. Hannah goes on to say, I have drunk neither wine nor anything alcoholic. I have been pouring out my life to God. Do not think of your servant as an evil woman, for I've been speaking out of great anxiety and anguish all of this time. Hannah has freely opened up the truth to Eli, but 
all the priests can respond with is shalom. May the God of Israel grant the petition you have made. Very simple and yet very difficult. So thoughts as we go forward with this story. How do we handle hopelessness? Can we rest in, in the tension without assuming like Eli did or brushing it off like Elkanah did or holding ourselves above like Panina did? Sim simple dismissing someone else's suffering without getting to know them or, or we try to fix it. It's really not helpful. Simply telling the addict to stop or the depressed or grief-stricken person just to be happy, not helpful. What, what it would mean is to enter into prayer with and for that person. How often do we let other people influence the way we pray? Prayer at home, when we say grace over our food, maybe not prayer out in the world when we sit down for a meal. Instead of being a witness to thankfulness and belief, we fear maybe what others see. Ask someone to offer the prayer before a meal and all of a sudden the room gets quiet. Maybe you experience this at Thanksgiving. The room gets quiet, people who are laughing and talking uh, are shot looks that could kill. And then out of the blue, normal everyday people start trying to speak in Elizabethan English. <laughs> I don't know how many of you saw the movie Meet the Parents when Ben Stiller's character prays this, he's not a prayer, but he prays at the meal. Oh, dear God, thank you. You are such a good God to us, a kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you, oh, sweet, sweet Lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord that you have so aptly laid at our table this day. And each day by day by day by day, Oh, dear Lord, three things we pray. To love thee more dearly, to see thee more clearly, to follow thee more nearly, day by day, die day, amen. We make prayer out of something, we make it something that's awkward, we make it something that's forced. We make it something that is kind of somber and lifeless, but not Hannah. Hannah is praying for a child She's praying from the very depths of her longing, standing there only steps away from the Ark of the Covenant. Was no time for these and thous and thuses. It was no time for a stilted awkwardness or fake formality. She was pouring out her very soul. She was pouring out her heart. She was communicating to a God that she knew into a God that she loved. And she was bearing a heavy burden and she was unloading this burden on the Lord. And you know what? When you communicate with someone that you know, when you communicate with someone that you love, you do so with a certain passion and honesty. Sometimes with tears of joy and sometimes with tears of loss. 
Because the relationship that we're offered with God is a real one. It's a genuine relationship. The God who made the heavens and the earth wants to know us and wants us to know who God is. And when we're excited to gush out like Hannah did, breaking into song in chapter two, and then th when things are also falling apart, we need to gush out like Hannah did. Thanks be to God for answering Hannah, but also for being there for us in the midst of whatever is going on in our lives. Amen.